This lecture is brought to you by Knox Theological Seminary on iTunes U. Knox is a seminary in the tradition of the Reformation that exists to educate men and women to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that this teaching will be beneficial in your Christian life and ministry. Now this leads, of course, to another uh, uh, question. Uh, which has come up in recent times. It's part of the so-called New Perspective on Paul, of which you will no doubt have heard. Um, but the whole issue of justification, you see, and what does it mean? There was a man called Sanders, E.P. Sanders, A-S-A-N-D-E-R-S, who has claimed that we have misunderstood Judaism as it was in the time of Paul. We have interpreted Judaism as if it were a religion of works. You know, you have to do, do this, do that, do something else in order to earn your salvation. But Sanders has argued that this isn't the case, that uh, justification and, and, and therefore the Christian life is not, a, is not a matter of working your way into God. It is a gift of God, and the Jews believe this. What they were concerned about was staying in the good graces of God, staying within the covenant, not earning their place in it. In other words, the law, the function of the law, was to keep the Jewish people on the straight and narrow, to keep them uh, doing the right thing. This is known as the so-called new perspective on Paul. Now, they were being kept to do, uh, doing the right thing, supposedly. Uh, and when Paul comes along, you see, in Christ, what's the difference between his preaching and teaching and that of the rabbis, the Pharisees? Well, it's not a simple law versus gospel, you know, wrong and right. It's not as simple as that. What Paul is supposedly offering Jewish people is not an experience of God that they did not previously have, but a new, improved version of what they already have. In other words, his argument was, Christ can give you something better, higher quality, than what you can get from the law and keeping the law of Moses. In other words, it's a difference of degree rather than a difference of kind. Now, this has proved to be very popular um, in our generation. Why? Because it revalues Judaism. It makes Judaism look a lot more acceptable to Christians uh, than the traditional picture, you see, of trying to save yourself by the law, by works, and so on. 
The problem, of course, is that if this is true, you see, if what Sanders is saying is true, why was Paul so negative about the law, so insistent that, uh, you know, you mustn't follow the law, you've got to follow Christ instead? And why did Jewish people reject this? Uh, you see, if, if Christ and the Christian belief was just an, an improved version of Judaism, you know, uh, word nine or ten or whatever, as opposed to word six or, or something like that, if that was the case, why was there so much trouble? I mean, surely, uh, you know, people would go for the, for the, the, the more efficient uh, way of staying within the boundaries of the covenant. Well, of course, the answer to this has to be that uh, the apostles, and in particular Paul, did not make the fuss that they did and did not you know, have the, the passion and the mission that they did merely because they thought that Jesus was a, 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 an updated, uh, you know, more modern version uh, of something that had existed already. They knew that salvation in Christ, belief in Christ, was something fundamentally different from Judaism. And what makes it different is that even if Sanders was right about the law, about justification and so on, you know, in and through the law, it would be justification without redemption, without salvation. You know, because there was no provision for that. There was no side of that. There was no death and resurrection, uh, you know, of Christ. What Jesus does, in other words, he justifies, but he justifies for a purpose. And that purpose is the kind of transformation which will lead eventually to the life in heaven. See, when you die. And so that's the, the trajectory, if you like, has, uh, has changed. And therefore, of course, the justification uh, by faith that Christians believe in is not just keeping the law in some way, you know, avoiding sin or whatever. It is also working out a promise of eternal life in Christ. You see, that's a dimension uh, which can never be forgotten and which was not present in the law. Uh, the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law had no, um, no conception that it was preparing people to live in heaven. You know, it was basically a law for this world, for this earth. Now, this is not to say that it was bad or wrong or, uh, or anything like this. It may have been perfectly all right within its own parameters, within its own context. It just could not provide the sort of results that, uh, uh, that would be expected. 
And so the new perspective on Paul put forward by Sanders has been very criticized, uh, you see, because of this, uh, because it just doesn't, it's, it doesn't go deep enough into the nature of justification, you see, and uh, the, uh, the fact that once we are justified, we are given a, a whole new orientation. It's not just um, a kind of revived uh, form of law. Now, a variant of this, not the same as Sanders, but a kind of variation of, of this, has been put forward more recently by Tom Wright, N.T. Wright, um, as you will know him, um, who has taken Sanders's view and modified it slightly, uh, but who also focuses, as Sanders did, on this whole question of justification. You know, how do you get right with God? What does it mean? And Wright, Tom Wright, he takes a, a, another line. He says, justification is something which is entirely and exclusively the gift of God. And he disagrees with Sanders about the nature of Judaism in this respect because Judaism uh, it has, it contains always an element of works and, and so on. Uh, he does not say this. Uh, Tom Wright does not say that. What he does say, though, is that the covenant community, Israel, was defined and held together, it was, it was given a consistency by the law. And that the law shaped the character of God's people. And this is important. Uh, the function of the law was to, uh, to make you and me think like God think the thoughts of God, even though we are not God. But there's more to it than that. Because, of course, Wright recognizes that the law cannot be fulfilled uh, by our own efforts. He accepts what Paul says that when the law came sin sprang to life uh, and I died but he interprets this in a rather strange way because he says that when the law came when the law was given Israel fell from grace from the grace of God because it couldn't keep the law. And in a sense, repeated the fall of Adam. You see, the whole thing just, just sort of comes back that, that Israel has to bear the burden of human sin, the burden of, Ad, of Adam. Now, if you take that... Christ, of course, comes as the second Adam, the new Adam, to take that burden away. In other words, 
Christ is not just the new Adam, he is the new Israel as well. And so the, the, the burden which Israel bore collectively, Christ takes on himself and, uh, and pays the price for. Now Tom Wright uh, believes that Israel, in theory, was expected to save itself. You see, or be saved by by keeping the law, by staying within the bounds of the law. This is Sanders again. But Israel failed. Israel didn't keep the law. The question then arises, did Israel fail because there was no way that it ever could have kept the law? I mean, the law was just too much from the beginning. Or did Israel fail because... Uh, of its own sinfulness, you know, not, not because it had to, but because it did. I mean, you might say it doesn't really matter because either way it failed. Yes, but there's, there's a different um, uh, quality, if you like, to the failure. Is, was the failure inevitable or was the failure accidental? You see, one way or the, or, or the other. This, of course, has a, a, a implications for the coming of Christ because was Christ's coming a response? Was it the fulfillment of something that was, uh, was necessary because Israel was, was bound to fail and therefore Christ you know, is, can be predetermined? Christ is, is going to come to, uh, to put right the inevitable failure of Israel. Or was Israel's fa failure avoidable and therefore Christ's putting it right not necessarily foreseeable or necessary? Well, of course, you see, the, the, the root of the problem here is that Christ cannot identify uh, or be identified with Israel. Because one of the things that uh, Wright wants to say is that Israel bore the sins of the world. Israel was destroyed as a nation because it bore hum humanity's sin on, on, on itself. Israel failed because it didn't have the power to do this. It was, it was lumbered with a, a burden too great for it to bear. So along comes Jesus Christ, who is not just the new Adam, but also the new Israel, and puts this right. Now, you and I, we belong to Adam. We are descendants of Adam, whether we like it or not. We don't have a choice in this. But we can also be, uh, belong to Christ. You see, if we accept Christ, we can be integrated into the covenant people of God and share Christ's righteousness, have Christ's righteousness applied to us in and through the covenant which he makes with us. So we receive from him the righteousness that we need in order to live for him.
See, as a scheme worked out, you know, as a, as a sort of pattern, you can see how it might make sense. But is this is it the truth? And of course, this is where the 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 attacks, if you like, or the the opposition to Tom Wright comes, because people say, "All right, you have created this scheme." But in this scheme, you have really left out the crisis, the spiritual crisis of the individual believer. You know, who am I going to follow? Who is going to control my life? Uh, I mean, is this something, uh, you know, am I part of a covenant uh, that's going to work itself out in some kind of non-personal way? Or am I confronted by God in Christ who says to me, take up your cross, follow me, uh, you know, give up everything because you are a sinner, you need to be saved by my grace. You need to f come and follow me, learn from me, be integrated into me, be saved by me. And that, of course, is what the traditional interpreters who oppose Tom Wright say. Because their criticism is that in Tom Wright's scheme, and this would be true of Saunders as well, individual salvation, individual participation in Christ is essentially ruled out. You know, it's no longer my relationship with God in Christ. But the new situation, the new status, if you like, of God's people, Israel. And so Wright, you see, will put a great deal of emphasis on things like baptism, because baptism integrates you into the covenant, and the Christian life becomes a life of maintaining the grace of your baptism. Well, again, you can see that there, there's an element of truth in this. That baptism is meant to, to bring you into the family of God. Uh, you know, that you are meant to grow up and, and see the grace of baptism at work in your life, pray for this and so on. Yes, this is, this is not really the issue. What it boils down to in the end is the reality of nominal Christianity, people who are baptized but who are not practicing believers, not real believers. And Tom Wright has a problem with this. Because, of course, in his scheme, if you are baptized, then you, then you are a Christian, then you are a member of the church, regardless, because it's because of your baptism. And the traditional Protestant view, at least, uh, Roman Catholic would be perhaps more sympathetic to that way of thinking, but certainly among Protestants, they would say, no, um, obviously, uh, you know, belief and so on, is, uh, 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 this is all important, uh, but um, uh, you aren't automatically saved by your baptism. You, know, you can't rely on that. Especially not if you were baptized as an infant, because you won't, you won't have made a conscious commitment to anything.
And that can't be right. You see, would be the argument. There's got to be, um, uh, you know, something more to it than that, all right? Um, and and this becomes the problem because, uh, you know, people have gone up to Tom and said, if somebody came to you asking you how to become a Christian, what would you say? And he said, well, I'd tell them to go and get baptized. And I said, well, what good is that going to do? You know? You can get baptized, but is baptism by itself going to make you a Christian? Well, no. You know, uh, it's just uh, all right. This is this doesn't actually get you any closer to God um, than you were before. And so, without repentance, faith, changed life, baptism by itself has no meaning. You see, uh, it has to be seen in context. Where, but Tom Wright, of course, says, well, baptism is entry into the covenant. Once you're in the covenant, as with Israel, it doesn't really matter what, what you believe or if you believe, because Israel, of course, was a mixed bag. Not everybody in Israel uh, was a believer, you know, uh, just as not everyone in the church is a believer, but you're in the church. So he would see it in such an objective way that the subject of application, the application to the life of the individual believer, is simply not made. Um, and, uh, of course, you know, this, this doesn't make any sense. How can you have an abstract salvation, you know, something which is objectively true in some way, but which doesn't you know, touch base uh, with you in your life where you are? You see, this is, this is the danger always, that justification has to be seen as part of our relationship with God. Again, we get back to the relational question. And here, of course, people like Tom Wright and, Son, and E.P. Saunders are, Ed Saunders are right to insist that you cannot talk about justification by faith, um, you know, uh, in the abstract, it has to be um, uh, within the context of the life of Christ, of relating, uh, you know, being united with Christ. This is true, but we are united with Christ in personal terms. You see, I am united with Christ because I believe in Him and have a personal relationship with Him. Uh, you know, a relationship that works out with Him. My faith, my Christian life, is not the same as my citizenship, my secular citizenship. I mean, I'm not an American citizen, so it doesn't apply to me in this way, but let's say you are. If you are an American citizen by birth, you could say you haven't chosen this. Just as if you are a Jew, you see circumcised, you haven't chosen this. And if you were baptized as an infant, you haven't chosen this. But being, does being an American citizen mean that you have a personal relationship with whoever? You know? Well, no. I mean, in the case of the United States, probably not a good example, uh, because in the case of the United States, there's nobody to have a personal relationship with. 
you know. I mean, the United States is, is not personified in this way. And except it's curious because the personification of the United States is Uncle Sam. But nobody has a personal relationship with him. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you, you, you kind of know who Uncle Sam is. You, you could picture him, and if you saw such a person in the street, you would recognize him. But there is no such person until you're not related to him. It makes more sense, I suppose, in, in, in the United Kingdom because, you see, theoretically at least, uh, we are subjects of the Queen and therefore we are supposed to have some kind of allegiance to her uh, as a person. Um, but, but we don't have, I mean, I certainly don't have a personal relationship. Uh, you know, she's not a friend of mine uh, that I can sort of ring up and say, um, you know, Your Majesty, I, I, I'm not feeling well today. You know, can you do something about it? I mean, you can't really, you know what I mean? Th that dimension doesn't exist, nor was it really meant to. But this is where belonging to the church and being a Christian is quite different from being a citizen of a country. Now, in Judaism, this distinction is not so clear because in Judaism, being a member of the covenant and being a member of a nation, it's really the same thing. You know, I mean, you can't separate in Judaism between the religion and the nationality. Uh, I mean, there, there are two different aspects of what amounts to the same, the, the same thing. But in Christianity, they're quite different, and they're different because we have this living, personal relationship with Jesus, you see, which is not just a status. Uh, you know, it's, it, there's more to it than that. It's a relationship. All right, the relationship implies a status, yes. But my point is, as with citizenship, you can have a status without the relationship. Uh, you know, it's possible to have status but not relationship, not the other way round. But uh, as Christians, we, go, we are the other way round. We have relationship first, and the status follows from that. All right? And the relationship is primary. I mean, I'm not too bothered about my status as a Christian. I mean, I know I've got one, but, but I mean, I'm not, you know, I don't go around thinking about it or worrying about it or, 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 or you know, filling in papers in order to justify it. I just accept that it's there. But my personal relationship with Christ is a priority. You see what I mean? It's a, it's, so it's quite different uh, from that point of view. These courses provide a glimpse into our academic programs. Knox students can take one-week or semester-length courses in person at our South Florida campus or choose to complete a degree entirely online. By bringing together academic excellence, a vibrant community of learning, and flexible scheduling, Knox offers today's students timeless truth through modern convenience. For more information about earning credit toward a master's degree, please visit our website at knoxseminary.edu.